Hey there, and welcome to Upfront, a podcast that features conversations with Connecticut-based top performers who represent the very best in their field and how they are making an impact in their industry and here at home in Connecticut. Thanks for listening. Hello, hello, and welcome to Upfront. I'm Derek Beer. Thank you again for being here with us. And if this is your first time, welcome aboard. I'm super excited for our guest on the episode, and chances are, if you enjoy having a cup of tea, then you probably know the Bigelow Tea name. Cindy Bigelow is the third-generation president and CEO of family-owned Bigelow Tea, the U.S. market leader of specialty teas, that produces over 2 billion tea bags annually. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree from Boston College, an MBA from Northwestern University, Kellogg School of Management, and honorary doctorates from Johnson & Wales University, the University of New Haven, and Fairfield University. And apart from all the fancy diplomas and education, she is actively involved in community service, speaks to students and industry leaders, sharing her insights on business ethics, leadership, and marketing. And above all else, she enjoys drinking lots of tea. No surprises there. I think I got it all. Hello, Cindy. Welcome to the show. Hello, Derek. Thanks so much for asking me to be a part of it. Very exciting for me. I'm so excited to have you, and it's been a while. Um, Full transparency, I I have such fond memories of working with you and the Bigelow Tea family many years ago, and I'm really excited to learn more about you, where you came from, and how it's shaped you as the leader you are today. So I, I always start off with this question. At this moment in time, where are you? I am in our corporate headquarters, uh, Fairfield, Connecticut, which is also our smallest manufacturing facility and where all the blending for all our manufacturing facilities are done right here, Fairfield, Connecticut. Excellent. And before we talk about today and all of the amazing things you're up to, as well as Bigelow Tea, I do want to go back in time and learn some more about you. Um, Where did you grow up? I was actually born in New York, uh, Flushing, New York. I uh, then moved uh, very quickly, I think a few months old, to Norwalk, Connecticut. Okay. Lived uh, there for a few years. And then uh, um, back in 1962, moved to Westport, Connecticut. And I lived there where I grew up. Beautiful town. I was very, very blessed. New York in Fairfield County. Very familiar with it. And can you can you tell us, you say it was you're blessed by that. Can you tell us why or what, what was life like growing up during that time there? You know, I mean, really, uh, I think a lot about that today versus, you know, what individuals are, are, are going through and experiencing. And, you know, I think there's even a greater awareness how, how fortunate I was. Um, but, uh, you know, I just uh, lived in a, a very nice town and I had a great education and I had, you know, a lovely experience in the school systems. I worked very hard to do well in the school systems. And from there, I was very fortunate to be able to go to college, um, have wonderful people in my life there, get a, a job in sales afterwards for Josephine Seagram's, mm-hmm. uh, and then go back to graduate school, which was another amazing uh, good fortune. I didn't realize at that time I'd, it was going to be the number one graduate school in the United States in business, um, and then started working at Bigelow. So you just look back and you just say, you know, Maybe it's my memory has dulled over all these years, but it was just seemed like a very simple time. You know, you, you went to school, you played after school, you did your homework and you had dinner and you 
started it all over again the next day. Mm -hmm. I really wasn't an athlete. I was on teams, but I wasn't like great. I think I always say I was on teams because they liked me, not because I was very good. Um, What teams? But it was just, it seemed, oh, I was on the ski team and they were state champs. They had to teach me literally how to like snow plow at the very beginning. Um, I was on the track team. I was the slowest on the team for sure. You know, I was powder puff football. I was the quarterback, but I panicked during the game. (laughs) (laughs) So you could say, I guess I was somewhat athletic, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But it was just a simple life. You were involved, right? (laughs) So I always like to know if if people played sports and you you were involved in sports, you were on, on teams, as you say, are there any things that you learned playing sports that have helped you in the business world? Did anything from that carry over? Yeah, actually, that's a great question. And yeah, that you're not going to be the the fastest. You're not going to be the best. You're not going to be the brightest. But boy, how exciting if you can be around the best and the brightest and what you can learn from them and how you're really part of a team. Mm. I mean, really, I learned early on. I, I really do say that I am not just being humble, that they had me on the teams because they liked me. I had a good attitude. I tried, but I was not contributing from really a sports perspective. Um, and that's really what I learned about the value of a team. Right? Yeah. You, you need people around you and you need people for different reasons around you. And I, I guess I played a part on those teams. It's funny. You don't realize it then, but then later on you do, right? How things come full circle. Yeah. Um, okay. So growing up, um, sisters or brothers, yeah, I have one sister, which actually you were fortunate to work with, Derek, when you were working on the Charleston Tea Garden. Yeah. Um, you got to work with my sister, Lori, and uh, Lori was seven years my senior. Uh, she did have to retire from Bigelow uh, for many reasons, one of them certainly being her health. Mm. And she just passed away in February of 2020. Oh, no, I'm so, so sorry to hear that. Yeah, pretty devastating for me. One sister. Mm. Now I don't have my one sister and she had a tough journey, Derek. She had a, she had a, she had a tough journey. I'm yeah. not going to tell you anything else. It was a, it was a tough journey that she was on. I don't have to ask what your parents did for work. I know the answer. <laughs> I know the answer to that one, but yes. what kind of values did they instill in you or what kind of important lessons did they teach you growing up? Well, you know, it's funny when you say look back to how you grew up and why you feel so fortunate. You know, it, it, at that time, I, I um, you know, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. For me, it was a very good thing. My mother did not work because she was home uh, when I got home from school and, you know, just was there for me. And um, so that was a nice feeling, to be honest. And um, but she got when I in high school, you know, you're not at home as much. And so she started to really get more involved with the business. Mm-hmm. And so I really liked how she sort of reinvented herself. So I learned a lot from that. And my father, I watched and learned so much from him. You know, I always call him my mentor um, because he was, uh, you know, very passionate about what he did. He really loved the people. He, you know, if you ever want to see him upset, if, if one of the employees was wronged, he would get very, very upset. Very creative man, always new ideas percolating. So I just learned so much from both of them. I really did. And I, and I love that uh, the two of them became such partners as the years went on. Um, mm. He was the idea generator, for sure. And she likes to affectionately be known as the bubble popper. He <laughs> would have all the bubbles of ideas and she'd be like, nope, 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 nope. But uh, I do think <clears throat> it really worked between the two of them. And it, it obviously it put us on a really good path because uh, you know, I look at where we are today. 
That's exciting. Yeah, they're almost like the dynamic duo, right? That you need yeah. that kind of balance. And it's amazing to have that as parents and through a marriage and then later on through the business. Um, that's a very inspiring story. And I, I often say role in the sense that um, over the years, he could maybe get a, a little locked on a particular project that perhaps had some other sides that needed to be considered. Mm. And she was great. If you sat down with her, and you really talked about all the options. She was a very logical person in that sense. And so she'd say, oh, I can see why this is a concern. And then she'd sort of do her back, you know, backpedaling or her, not backpedaling, backdoor yep. conversations. And um, often she would get him back to the center. <laughs> <laughs> Reel him back to reality. <laughs> yeah, we, we we used her very, very much. She was critical yeah. uh, at certain at certain times in the business. Very good. So when it comes to tea, right, because uh, that's Bigelow tea, what is your earliest memory of tea? Well, I would come home, and my sister used to love this story as well, we would come home from school and, and their tasting was in our kitchen. Mm. So you'd have this panel of people, which were basically like, part of them were like my relatives. One was my godmother, the other was my godfather. Yeah. Anyway, um, and they were all in the kitchen tasting tea and you sort of kind of wiggle by them to get at your snack. And every once in a while, they'd say, hey, you want to try this tea? And I thought, why am I trying this tea? I don't know anything about tea. I don't even drink tea. <laughs> and you drink the tea and you go, thank you very much. Can I get it my ring ding? <laughs> and, um, you know, and then that was my that was my first exposure to tea. The Bigelow tea story is quite literally the American dream. You know, it, it started out like so many incredible brands w we know of today. You know, I think of companies like Apple or Amazon, you know, Walt Disney tinkering around in the garage or at home. Um your grandmother founded the company in 1945 out of her New York City apartment. Um, without getting into the entire story, but can you, what's your memory of that? Or, you know, can you tell, tell us a little bit more about that? Well, you know, I would say, you know, in a lot of ways, yes, certainly we're, we're not Apple, but it is the American dream. You know, we still are 100% family owned. Um, and, uh it, it, it is a blessing that she started and she was an interior designer and she lost everything in the depression and she wanted to be in business for herself. That was kind of her thing. Mm. And um, <clears throat> so she finds an old colonial recipe and it was brutal start. I mean, there's so many great stories, which we will not go back and rehash right now of how they barely were making it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was really just uh, her stick to and also the uh, blessing of some good fortune at the right time with certain moves which I think is life in general. And uh, my father originally wasn't that interested in the business. He was interested a little bit, but he then went off and did his own thing. And then she came to him finally and said, look, uh, we're getting older. We need you. Mm -hmm. uh, we can't do this without you. And, and, him, and him and my mother kind of conferred. And um, you know, they said, yeah, you know what? We're going to come back. I just need to make sure I have my own thing to do. And she said, absolutely. And so he ran it with her there for maybe five years. And then um, she retired and shortly actually after that passed. And he ran it um, until he passed it to me in about 2005, 2006. Yeah. And he, he was still involved. I mean, yeah. It's not like you hand me the baton and you leave the building. Right. So I mean, I, I love the mentoring I had with him. But I just love the story of what it took um, – the advice that she needed, the bumps that they had, the individuals that couldn't work for them because there wasn't enough sales. I mean, it truly is. Uh, it is. It is a, a lesson in stick-to-itiveness, tenacity, creativity, um, fortitude, luck. 
It's a great story. I don't have to ask what your grandmother was like, because it sounds like she was a very strong woman and leader, but do you have any early childhood memories of your grandmother? Or did you ever share a cup of tea with her? I very much remember her because I was with her every week. We were we had Sunday dinner, which mm -hmm. has always been a tradition that I still uh, continue with my mother and father and my sister while she was here, uh, when she was well enough to come. And uh, so I have great memories of her. She was um, very warm to me, but there was a different era as well, right? Mm -hmm. So she was very stoic, she was born in 1896. So she was very stoic, yeah. and uh, but yet still very loving. And my best memory is after Sunday night dinner, which was a little stiff for a five-year-old and six-year-old, <laughs> um, she'd be like, okay, I'm gonna, um, Cindy, let's go up. We get to pick another glass animal out of her cabinet. Upstairs we would go and I'd get to pick another glass animal and take it home. And I used to wait so patiently for the dinner to be over so that I could have my glass animal. That was a reward for good behavior. <laughs> and I still, I still, Derek, I still have all those glass animals. Amazing. What a treasure to keep in memories. Yeah. So, okay, your, your five-year-old Cindy at, at, at these family dinners and tea is surrounding your life. What did you, did you have any childhood aspirations besides becoming CEO as you got older? What, what did eight-year-old Cindy want to be when she grew up? Oh, gosh. Eight-year-old Cindy had no such mindset. Nine-year-old Cindy, 10-year-old Cindy, 11-year-old Cindy. I was just, um, again, I think that's kind of the blessing of back then. You know, there wasn't any social media. There weren't these social pressures. I mean, I'm sure there were social pressures, of course. You know, you, I wasn't in the A-click, whatever that would be. Those, that's been for all of time. Right. Yeah, I was, whatever, harassed by whoever. It, that's regular life. But um, you know, for me, it was just I, I was a student. I enjoyed my friends. I, you know, I had dinner every night with my parents. Sunday night, we got Carvel ice cream. I mean, you know, it was it was a simple life. I, I was a simple, it was a simple life. I just knew I wanted to work hard. Kind of my thing. I'll say two things. One is I like to work hard. And I and I believed naturally just we should be nice to everybody mm -hmm. that was the two things that i kind of just lived my life with so career that wasn't that wasn't part of that conversation there was no ambition in eight-year-old cindy bigelow <laughs> <laughs> people ask me that too sometimes and i'm like i had no idea i was just being a kid i was into gi joe and star wars <laughs> you know <laughs> those kinds of things but okay so when did you know that you wanted to join the family business you went off to college um, tell us about that journey um, of finally saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to be involved in Bigelow Tea. Well, it's actually interesting because I, as you mentioned earlier for your uh, kind introduction, so thank you for that, is that um, I do talk a lot to students, a lot, mm -hmm. and I love that, or mentor or lecture or commencement speech or whatever. And I always say to them, you know, you don't have to know what you're going to do. And if you, if you think you know what you're going to do, it could pivot and take all kinds of pathways. And that's all okay. Yeah. It's fine. <clears throat> For me, to be honest, I always say I'm a, a, it's a little unfair. In high, on high school, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to run the family business. It wasn't anything to do with tea. It didn't matter right. what the product was. I said, wow, this is a fantastic little business. And I would love to run this business. And I read... Uh, excuse me for digressing, but a good friend of mine in high school sent me a note that his father, he found a diary his father had, and this young man had taken me to a prom. And the father's notes were so interesting because I'm thinking at that same time frame, oh, I want to run the business. 
And his father notes were how excited he was that his son was going with Cindy Bigelow to the prom because one day she would be married to a high level marketing manager at Bigelow T. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Little did he know. <laughs> well, what makes me laugh is I wouldn't even imagine that. But back then, that that would be what it would be perceived as right. is that I could marry somebody in the business. Right. So oh, I was like, wow. And it just, but in my mind, starting in high school, I was like, oh, I would, I, I'm going to, I'd like to run this business. I'm going to run this business is what I said. Yeah. Wow. And okay. So you, you, you go off to college. What was that experience like? Were you um, a, a, a great student or how, how was college for you? Yeah, student. I was always a student first. Um, certainly, we know from my earlier story, I wasn't an athlete, but I was athletic in the sense I always tried to work out and do something. I mean, that's always been a part of my life. Um, but I was always a student first, and but I also love people. I'm a very social creature, mm-hmm. and um, so I loved everyone that I went to school with, um, and I had such a great experience there. So yeah, no, it was more just about being a good student and really just living the college experience, knowing that I wanted to focus in business. I was going to major in business, probably going to, I thought about maybe, maybe graduate school. I wasn't sure then. So yeah, it was still kind of drilling down business and yet still living the full experience of college. So I went to Boston college and today I'm still friends with so many wonderful people there. Um, so yeah, it was, it was just continuing on my pathway of education and, and living life. Always learning, which is important. Okay. So now you're at Bigelow T. What, what was your first job there? Well, it's interesting going back to college for a second. One of the things I experienced at college for the first time, which I didn't understand is people sort of like judging me because of Bigelow T and sort of saying, oh, you're going to run Big OT. Why are you bothering getting good grades? Mm. And that only got worse when I went to graduate school. Again, I love these people, dear friends with them. But they said, why are you working so hard? Why do you care? You already have a job. And I thought that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. So it was the first time I've sort of experiencing this being judged because of my name. Yeah. And then when I finally got to Bigelow, I also was dealing with that. And it was foreign to me. It was good for me. It was it was good for me to experience. But like people were either nice to me because I was a Bigelow or not nice to me because I was a Bigelow. And I was like, wait, what? Um, so fortunately, I was a student of hard work. And so and I loved everything I do. That's I'm a very um, curious individual, but I'm very passionate about whatever you put in front of me. I jump into with everything I have. So I started as a cost accountant and I love that. And I had to put, bring the first PC into the company and I had to set that up. And so, you know, it was just a series of kind of bumps, but getting around that and um, just really work, working hard and learning and uh, I don't know, just doing the right thing, just trying to live a life where you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be challenging, you know, coming into the family business and, you know, that, that, like you said, the stigma or judging that goes along with that, right? Like, oh, why are you working so hard? You're, you know, you're, you're part of the family. You, you can have any job you want. And, and my parents were funny. They didn't treat me like that. They were never like, oh yeah, this is yours. Mm. And then, if anything, I was like, who else do you think you're passing it to? <laughs> True. They really had an attitude of like, they were going to run it forever. And, um, I was going to work here. Yeah. Interesting. So what what was that first job at Bigelow? Did you did you start in the mail room or, you know, no, what? I was a I was a cost accountant, but we didn't really have a cost accountant. Yeah. 
So I had a book that I thought was a binder that was about five inches thick. And you open up the binder and on the first page it says lids, 0.2 cents. And then you open it up and it says cans, 0.4 cents. That was it. That was our bill of material costing whatever system. So I had to get a PC and I had to literally load the bill of materials. Did I do that in graduate school? No way. I had to go on uh, all the different shifts and do time and motion studies, which that's another story, Derek. Oh, my God. I was hiding behind teabag machines when when (laughs) mechanics were almost going into fisticuffs. And I had to build all that from scratch. And I just loved it. I was in my own little corner. It was actually a closet that they had turned into an office. And I just loved doing it. I loved it. It was great. That was my first job. And and then you obviously worked throughout different parts of the business on your journey to being named CEO of all, I guess, Alaska, of all those positions you've had, because I, I think it's important to, to do the work before, you know, you kind of get to the top, so to speak, right? I always tell interns I have, like, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something that I, I I would do myself, whether it's making copies of something or, you know, the most mundane task, right, might seem not important at the time, but you kind of learn these things as you go. So throughout that journey before being CEO, was there anything else that stood out as as sort of, uh, wow, this, this was like a really important part of my trajectory? Uh, no, I think they all added up. I mean, I, I learned early on to um, fight my own battles. That was very important. And so if I had a disagreement with somebody or I didn't personally like how they were treating me or acting in general, I kept that to myself. I never shared any of that with my uh, my family. Um, I had to learn to build alliances. I had to learn who sort of the power brokers were that had the information that I needed. Um and I just learned along the way, uh, you know, some of the positions were harder than others. I, I often had to um, really promote myself to move to the next position mm-hmm. because what I, I ended up becoming was the, the troubleshooter, the problem solver. If there was a department that was really kind of suffering, because now, again, I'm sort of in the, the, the throes of it, right? I'm a cost accountant. Then I become the planner. <clears throat> so I'm really in the, in the guts of how business runs. So I could really see I had a, a really nice level set vision of where the problems were. And then I would go in and say, gee, I'd like to, you know, this manager is just left. I'd like to run that department and uh, didn't necessarily have a resume that said I should. But I just had the MBA and I had, I think, tenacity. And so sometimes by a fair amount of selling, I would then get the next position. So the joke was I used to say I couldn't keep a job more than two to three years. And then I'd be kicked out to run another department. But the beauty <laughs> of it was is that I um, I had to really build for obsolescence. Yep. I was never building a department around me. I was never building a department for me to look good. I was building a department to leave. Yep. And uh, that was a that in itself was um, really, really, really critical. Um, not to mention the alliances along the way, understanding the nuts and bolts, understanding where you can really run into issues. And to this day, in this position, um, I can say, wait a minute, I know we have a report. I want to see what that looks like. I don't understand how that we could have been out of stock. We have information to prevent that. You know, so I, I because I know the nuts and bolts so well, I always say it's invaluable. Mm-hmm. And all of that was part of the journey. Right. And and all my relationships were that I built were real relationships. Um, and I took some knocks, man. 
Knox, but that was part of it too. Who's going to get go anywhere without Knox? And there were some not nice Knox too, but that's how it goes. You, you, you couldn't wallow in it and you couldn't feel bad for yourself. You had to say, how did that happen? And how do I get to the next level and the next step? And how do I learn from it and become better? And that was, luckily that was my nature, right? From being on a sports team where I was the basically the, the worst on the team to so appreciating being on that team. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. When I got knocked down, I was like, okay, I got knocked down. I feel a little sorry for myself right now. Let's get over it and let's keep going. What do I got to do? What do I need to learn? That's great advice. And and what was your first memory of being named CEO like? You know, I imagine it was a, a sense of accomplishment, but did you have big visions or plans like, okay, I'm here now, this is what we want to do? Or did you kind of keep the tradition? How, how did, how, how, tell me about that, being named CEO. Yeah. Derek, there's so much packed into that question that your audience would need about three and a half hours, but I'll give you the abridged version. Um, my sister was in the business at the time and my sister was really struggling. And so we were named co-president together. And so although over the previous seven or eight years, I'd been establishing strategy, laying out goals, I couldn't get into that position and be the lead racehorse because I had to be very sensitive to my sister, her health, my mother and father's wishes to keep her equal Um, which is not always the right thing. I will tell you this for businesses that are listening to me. So it wasn't like this, oh, I'm now co-president, right? Mm -hmm. So then when my sister retired uh, due to health, um, I then became the CEO there again. that really wasn't going to be a great, you know, hey, we've ascended to the the CEO. Right. So I, I like that. It was more of just doing the right thing along the way, chipping and putting, establishing strategy, building alliances, uh, adjusting your goals as you're moving along the way and then slowly rolling it out and just, and then just everyone just wanted to follow and move in the right direction. So it was, um, there was no great fanfare for sure. And that was okay. That was perfect. Actually looking back, it was perfect. And shifting gears to today, I want to talk a little bit about your habits because I'm always fascinated to learn more from great leaders and successful business people. Um, It's a very basic question, but what what time do you get up in the morning? Are you an early riser or are you up all night? Well, well, first of all, Derek, I want to call you when you talk to great leaders. I'm not sure I fall into that, but I can tell you that I am one. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what time does this leader get up in the morning? Uh, I get up at seven in the morning and that hour from seven to eight is my hour now I do everything wrong I grab my phone and I start doing emails Mm. but it's my time so from seven to eight I do emails I read the New York Times I read various other periodicals I go through my Twitter account not my Twitter account the the Twitter account has all the different things that I follow and I do my Spanish every morning for about 15 minutes. I practice Spanish. Please do not ask me, Derek, if I am fluid. So for anyone that has spent five years doing Spanish every morning, the answer should be yes. The answer for me is no. But I love my Spanish. I get up, I go downstairs, uh, I've either exercised for 10 minutes upstairs, showered, whatever I do in my hour. Then I head downstairs around 8, 8.15. 
I have a young woman that uh, a woman's been with me for 20 years that she helps, you know, my house when I'm in the office with my dogs and we have a great time. We, we just love chatting. Mm-hmm. So we chat for, you know, half an hour about the day, what needs to get done, her life, my life. And then I'll come into the office probably around 915 ish. Often I have a doctor's appointment because I have whatever, so many health things I'm always trying to keep in control of, which is all good right now. Everything's great. Um, <clears throat> and so, so if I don't, <laughs> depends on how the doctor visit goes, but I'll usually get here around 9, 9.15, 9.30. But then I usually work until 8 o'clock at night. 7.38 is my standard. So I know if I get here any earlier, I'm still going to stay here till 7.38. So that's why that morning to me is my time to yeah. be um, really – just taking care of me, whatever that looks like. Those are long days. What what do you do to disconnect from all of that? Are you like, do you meditate? Do you do yoga? Do you run? Um... Well, Fridays, I try very hard not to come in the office or travel on my Fridays. So I work at home on Fridays, um, but it's mm-hmm. also my time. So I, I get active. It's my first time working out, really. I work out from eight to nine in the morning. Uh, then usually I will see whatever. <laughs> I was in a very bad accident, car accident in 2008. Really did a number on my neck. And so oftentimes mm-hmm. I have to just go and make sure the body is in good shape. So I'll go do that. Then I'll work for about four or five hours. And then I'll try to get a few errands done or I'll work again some more. But it's a different pace on Fridays. And it really mm-hmm. helps me decompress. Um, and it helps, I think, the team here. Um, I'm a very high energy human. And so it can really rev the place up and my team uh really need these and i'm not just saying this they need their fridays to come down and do their thing so it's it's, sure it's kind of a kind of the week that i've perfected and i think it works for everybody It, it it seems like it works for everybody and that's how i how i make it work now should i work a little bit less and and probably um give a little bit more time to me a lot of people are going to say yes, but I'm also going to say that's not logical. You can't run a business and think that you are have all your own time. So I had a shower this weekend for my soon-to-be daughter-in-law, and my son was so sweet to be at the shower, and everyone was vaccinated. It was indoor-outdoor. It was really, really great. And on the way to the shower that I just really been want to make sure was perfect – I have my head of procurement for raw materials calling me about a major problem in a country around the globe that is very significant. And I'm trying to deal with this as I'm walking into the shower. Right. And I'm looking Mm -hmm. at this individual going, listen, this is very significant. We are going to come back to this. But right now I need a few hours to disengage and to focus on this shower. And then that's what I was able to do. So I think the other skill set that I try to do is when I disengage, I really do try to disengage knowing that at any minute, Derek, I have to come right back into the business. Yeah, for sure. What would you say that your leadership style is like? Very direct, very feisty. Um, I really try very hard to always look through the eyes of everyone that I work with, whether it's in the business, out of the business, professional or personal. Um, I recognize the value of team. I recognize my need for team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope my team knows how much I need them, but also there are times when I have to make a decision. I try to keep that rare if it is going against, uh, the, the team's thought, but I try to explain that 
through if that is the case. So I just really believe in team. I believe in um, uh, exceptional uh, communication in the sense if you think you can communicate, you can probably communicate a little bit more. Uh, I believe in never settling uh, for sure, never settling, never compromising. Um, and that's how I drive the business forward. And a lot of vice presidents, when they come in here and they are on my executive team, that's a big transition for them because it's all about the metrics, the metrics, the metrics. Mm-hmm. And a big low metrics are important, but it's not the driver. It's about ethical business growth. It's about bringing 400 people along on a journey where they enjoy what they do. Maybe not every day and maybe not enjoying me every day. But overall, I want it to be a place where they, they want to walk in that door. Mm. And that's not easy because I'm not the only leader here. There's others. So it's constant communicating, constant coaching, constantly re-self-evaluating yourself, asking them to reassess themselves, and just recognizing that as a leader, there's huge responsibility and uh, it isn't all about the metrics. Yeah. Yeah. We live in such a data centric or metric obsessed society, I say, right? You know, we like to even see how many likes we get on Instagram and things like that. So um, I hear you loud and clear on that. And, and I, I think that's, you know, maybe one of the challenges. But from from you as a leader, what would you say is your greatest challenge? Do you have any that stand out? Yeah, I have challenges for sure. Um, You know, for me, uh, life is all about challenges, right? Personal or professional. Um, And it's how we deal with these challenges. And the word that I've been using a lot lately, Derek, is fluidity. Mm. We need to be able to experience this knock, this challenge, this issue. We need to be able to deal with it. We need to be able to do with it well. We need to be able to have the right teammates next, and then we need to move on. Yeah. I know for me, as as a person, as a woman, as a CEO, as a mother, if I do not experience the issues and the challenges, do my very best, and then move through, never forgetting, but moving through, that weight will not allow me to live life and be the best that I can. Mm-hmm. So it's about being fluid learning, not forgetting, being better from, but moving through all the challenges because they're not stopping, Derek. Challenges are not stopping and you do not know where they're coming from. And sometimes you will say to yourself, God, not one more, please. And there are times before I even walk in the door here, I've been hit with three not so fun experiences. And when I walk in that door, I am smiling, I am positive, I am blessed. I can't forget that. And it's my job to set the tone in this business. So we've got to deal with our challenges. And and boy, I'll tell you, I understand not all challenges are created equal. But either way, we have to go through them. Great advice. And as a leader or throughout any part of your career, what's what has been the most rewarding thing? Let's talk about something fun, something that just made you feel incredibly proud about what you do. Is there any moment or story you'd like to share with that? Well, I think getting the business to the third generation is really, really important. I think only four or five percent of businesses make it here. Yeah. And we did it. Yes, it was bumpy for about five years. 
but we did it and our relationship is better than ever. The business is stronger than ever. So I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of the fact that I could take a family business and do the best I can to maintain that family culture by still driving it forward and never compromising and pushing as hard as I push and maintaining that commitment to family and culture. Uh, and that's not easy, especially during COVID. This has been a rough, rough 14 weeks. I have had I have been accused of business over uh, over family, mm. and I've had to hear that and just recognize that through their eyes, that's how they're going to think, and I need to honor that, but recognizing that at no time can I not forget the entire entity because it's the 400 families that I am moving forward, not one, not two, not ten. Yeah. And so I've done that, and I feel proud of that, and I feel proud of the health and well-being of the business. And um, the fact that I still am committed to this day, there's not a day I don't coach about the ethical way to be leading people forward and the sensitive way. And that doesn't mean you don't make hard decisions and you don't let people go. I can tell you, I let people go. But it's not after much thought and, 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 um, and reflection. Mm-hmm. So I, I love the fact that this is still a 100% family business that is run I think with the same family spirit that my grandmother started and that my mother and father um, really developed. Yeah, it's interesting because a family business has all these kinds of misconceptions, right? How do you make those who work at a family business not feel that way, right? Like, how do you make them feel a part of the family? Yeah. Uh, I try to make everyone feel part of the family. I call them the family. I call them 400 members of the family. Um, I'm I'm sure they don't feel like family, but hopefully they feel like this is a family. And what I will tell you is I think all businesses have a family element. And how I see that is when an employee goes through a tragedy Mm -hmm. and then they're on the other side of the tragedy and they talk about how the people here at business, at Bigelow Business, help them get through there. I recognize that there's all these beautiful family connections throughout the business. And it's my place to try to create a, 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 an environment where that can happen and that can be honored and that can blossom. Uh, we are fortunate in some ways, not in others, but I'm the only one that's really here at this point. My parents due to COVID have not come in as much. And, um, so, you know, this business is run by an executive team that are non-family, yeah. right? So yes, I'm Cindy Bigelow. Yes. I'm the CEO. Yes. I make these major decisions when have to, you know, has to be made, but I have a, team of executives that is not family. I have a board of directors that is not family and they are the ones that are driving that business forward with me. And so they see the opportunity, hopefully the professionalism yet really wrapped around warmth. Yeah, It should be wrapped around humor, wrapped around be yourself. I don't need you to be a cookie cutter. I don't want that. So it's really about communication and attitude and, and culture. That's how. And you just do the best you can. I, it's not going to be with everyone. I'm not going to kid myself. They don't all feel that way. I'd like them to. But just because I want them to doesn't mean they're going to. Mm-hmm. And what would you say is the greatest strength being a family business? You mentioned only 3 to 4% make it to that point. But what are the strengths of a family business? I, I think the strength of a family business is if you have an ethical, and I'm sure this is, doesn't just apply to family businesses. So let's really set the tone on that. But if you have an ethical leader that really is about business first and not themselves, mm-hmm. um, you're you really, I think, in, a, in an, a great opportunity to have a successful entity, have a successful culture, 
And I know for me, I don't have quarter to quarter. I don't have outside board pressures. I don't have Wall Street. I don't have startup money, investment bankers. I need to grow by X percentage. I just have me. And I have a great team of people around me. And I can do things not because of the profit, not because of the, the, the amount of money we can make. I can do them because I say from a strategic perspective, it's better for this company. It's better for the 400 families. It will be a good decision long term. And I have enough counsel around me that we have a pretty darn good track record. That's great. And success, right, is easy for all of us to talk about. And we know it doesn't come easy. You have to work for that. (laughs) But can you know you mentioned early on you called them knocks but you know tell me like about maybe a favorite failure of yours and that sounds strange right and what i mean by that is was there something that you thought you were so sure about but it didn't work and what was that lesson <laughs> oh that's a great one uh so thank you derek for making me share my most painful lesson it's very kind of you oh boy Um, so what happens is, uh, we are doing a survey. I've been the CEO for years now. Um, and, uh, companies had a great year and all of a sudden it is, um, 2014 and, um, the company is going through some very tough times, uh, due to a a business that we were partnering with that was really, uh, it was uh, making it very difficult. We were dealing with a lot of social media issues at the time. Uh, my best friend was uh, unfortunately um, uh, soon to pass. My mother was very, very sick. I unfortunately was going through a divorce. All of that sounds like I'm setting the the grounds down, the the groundwork for oh, woe is you, Cindy Bigelow. So sorry for you. But um, at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm a CEO, and people don't need to know about your problems. So we happened to do a survey. Um, after in, during this time frame, and I think I'm still being the same CEO that I'm trying to be. Maybe I was being the same CEO I was trying to be. I'm not sure yet. We do a survey, and it's 400 people, and I'm re- seeing the same. And you do these surveys to find out if there's any problem, right? Is there any harassment? Sure. Is there any, you know, what are the issues that you don't see? I I, I can't see everything for 400. I, I need the leadership of myself to see what's happening. I'm seeing all the regular confrontations in the different departments and all you can almost tell who wrote them by, you know, the things they're saying about whatever. And I love all that because that's how we try to get better every day. And then we get up to the sales and marketing department, which is where I reside and where I spend the majority of my time. And there were six individuals that crushed me. I mean, crushed me. Mm. They used the same words, said the same negative comments. And let me tell you, it was devastating, devastating. Mm. And I was so hurt. Uh, But you know what? Feeling sorry for yourself, having all the issues I just listed and being hurt, that's not going to help anybody. Not going to help me. It's not going to help them. Not going to help the business. So finally, I had to pull myself up by the bootstraps and say, this is all about you. You, Cindy Bigelow. You were wrong. How are we going to fix this? It doesn't matter what they think if you don't agree with it. It's what they thought. It is what they perceived. And so I went on a six-month journey of really self-reflection and what were my lessons learned. And then I I started a chip and putt. 
on getting to a better place, recognizing if I thought I was communicating, I wasn't communicating enough. I wasn't circling back. If I had a tough conversation with somebody, I wasn't circling back and giving them an opportunity to share what was how they felt and why I was doing what I was doing. There was a, a need for me to have a few on my executive team who kept, we'd have these meetings about what we need to do. And mm-hmm. then they would leave and they'd say, Cindy says, do this. And I had to pull them together and say, you don't understand. I look bad. You look bad when you say this. We need to recognize this is the committee's decision. So now in the committees, I would say, guys, here's where we're finishing off. I want to state this very clearly. This is what we as a team have discussed. Please understand that going forward. You are carrying this because this is our decision. So there was so much more more pre-messaging and post-messaging that I had to do to help reverse this pervasive thought process up in the sales and marketing. Yeah. And... Have I done a survey since? No. Will I? Sure. Um, Have I not because of that? No, not at all. But do I sense a different attitude? Uh, Completely. Different environment? Completely. Uh, So that was very painful for me, but it was the best lesson I could have ever had, and it hurt. Mm. Woo! Did that hurt. Yeah. I have to say, I have to thank all those people they made, I hope they made me a better person. I hope they think they made me a better person. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if you're familiar with Ray Dalio from Bridgewater, yes. you know, yes. radical transparency, right? Like they have one of those core principles built into their company culture where a, a, a lower level person can say to a seat, could say to Ray Dalio, Hey, I didn't think you were, were your best today during that meeting, you know? And give them that kind of like feedback, direct, yeah. open feedback. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to tell you anyone's going to do that here. It, this is a very, I love this organization, but it's very like respectful. Sure. And so I, I, I recognize that that's not going to happen here. I have to do it other ways, body language, attitude. Of course, my senior management will come to me and say things and my uh, senior level um management can say things the ones I'm the closest to and I always thank them but as a CEO I have to be very sensitive to other clues and so I really one of my lessons was really really watching a room more astutely mm-hmm. and watching body language so I think that is so cool that Ray could have an administrator say that to him but I also recognize that's very rare super rare and we need to be extra astute in this seat and recognize the power of this seat and use that accordingly and, 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 and never lose the understanding of how significant that is. Mm. I mean, people could look at you and just say, I could lose my livelihood if I upset you. That's frightening to recognize that that's how people look at you, but that's the reality of it. So you have to carry that every day in your mood, your decision, how you act. No, am I perfect? Am I not going to have days where I don't have to circle back to someone and say, look, let's talk about that. A, I'm sorry. And B, let me walk you through it. And and how did you feel? And I want to try to do better. Absolutely. But, you know, that was a lesson from that survey for me is that I, I wasn't I wasn't open enough to the cues around me. We're in one of the worst pandemics of our time. Can you can you take us through your thoughts when this became a reality and turned the world upside down? How, how did you pivot or what went through your mind when 
the World Health Organization declared this was a pandemic. What did you have to do? Um, how did you react to that? Well, what I'll say is I think the pandemic threw everybody back on their heels, and that's a mild story, a mild uh, mild reaction. We, we yeah. I've never seen anything like it. We, I, I've never, I, I, in business, I've never had to deal with everybody's fears before. And I was now dealing with a level of fear in people that I had never dealt with before. And me trying to manage a business through a pandemic with a spectrum of fears and concerns and anxiety um, uh, was very humbling, was very, very, very humbling. And so for us, we did what you know a lot of businesses do. The manufacturing had to stay open. That was 300 out of the 400. And we shut down the, the office area, but the executive team stayed um, you know, stayed in every day. Uh, my um, associate who's been with me for I can't tell how many years, she stayed in every day. Uh, but it was it was it was it was like nothing I've ever experienced. I don't want to ever experience again. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I don't think I don't think any of us do. Um, but are are there things or lessons from this pandemic that you will take with you later in life when we go back to some kind of normal? Mm, it's another lesson in humility. Uh, it's another lesson in human nature, and it's another lesson in how much I believe that the success of Bigelow Tea, one of those little uh, prongs that has led to our success is our community and our culture mm. and um, how important it is that we have each other and we're around each other. I, I still have employees that feel they can work at home and that's not an option at Bigelow. And, and I, and I sort of uh, tilt my head a little bit when before COVID you had, you had very large, um, uh, companies very successful that work so hard to create the best community, daycare, um, dry cleaning, free food, workout rooms. They created these campuses mm -hmm. that were nothing I'll ever have. And now all of a sudden that community doesn't matter anymore. We can all work at home. Right. Um, why did you, why did you do what you did to create that environment if community didn't matter? So to me, community matters. We need to do it safely. Uh, I'm a huge fan of vaccination. Uh, we are doing very well in Fairfield on vaccinations. I'm really promoting it because I know that that is a way to help us get to a safer place. But still doing it safely is critical. Making everybody feel safe is critical. But at the same time, if there was ever anyone that recognized I never thought I needed to worry about our community. Mm -hmm. Here I was trying to maintain a culture. Having the community wasn't the question. It was the culture inside the community is what I focused on. Yeah. Now I had to focus on getting the community. Yeah, it's been, it's, been, it's been a lot of lessons learned. I've also seen things that I never would have imagined. Businesses that we've been partners with for 20, 30, 40 years, letting go of their top people. Uh, taking their top salespeople, just letting them go. I'm like, what? It took you 25 years to develop these people. So it's been it's been lessons that I just would have never imagined. If you told me about this 15 months ago, I would have said, Derek, what dream or nightmare were you just having? I know, I know. My friends and I say that all the time. 
Like if if you had said this a year ago, I would have looked at I would have looked at you like you were you were crazy. <laughs> but um, it's it is a crazy time, and you know people are worried, and and we are getting onto a path of normalcy. But um, you know I always like to think of tea as something you do when you sit back and relax. I would imagine people are drinking more tea during these times. You know, they they are. I mean, you think about tea, right? Tea represents comfort. It does usually represent community because you think about sharing a cup of tea yeah. with someone. And it, it, it represents wellness, right? So comfort, community, and wellness. What else do you need? What more do you need during this pandemic than those three things? So tea has definitely been the beverage of choice. Um, we've heard a lot of stories about people actually giving up coffee, We've uh, drinking tea. We've heard people go from one cup to five cups a day. Um, so tea has definitely found a even higher level of, um, uh, I don't know, commitment by consumers. They really have, have committed to drinking tea as part of their daily ritual. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we we're very fortunate that way. But at the same time, Derek, you know, we've been in the away from home business with the tea for 25 years, 30 years, 35 years, right? Hotels and and um, universities and businesses, um, airlines and all restaurants. That's all shut down, right? Yeah. So that's also significantly impactful as well. So we've seen some channels explode and we've seen channels go to zero. Yeah, it's, it's sort of balances itself out, but we want, we want more of those other channels back <laughs> um, in all aspects of life. We want all those channels back because with those channels are jobs. Exactly. Right. With those channels, our community going to a restaurant, think how important that is, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Uh, going again for me, going to the office and seeing your coworker and Hey, how was your weekend instead of zoom to zoom to zoom to zoom? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I, I am really looking forward to all those channels coming back and coming back. I know it'll take a while, but I think they will come back uh, in, their, in their full glory. It'll just take some time. So it's been a whirlwind, but here we are, um, you know, 2021. If you could look back now, knowing what you know, and give your 25-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Oh, you, you can't, you can't compare, you can't prepare at 25 for what's going to come your way. Uh, and you can't tell somebody, Hey, those knocks are going to come, go through them with fluidity. Uh, understand they're going to keep coming. Um, I guess the only thing I'll just say is just learn from them all. Learn every day, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, mm. it's, uh, it's life and just you know, do what I believed early on, you know, be kind, work hard, recognize you're not perfect, wake up every day and say, how can I do better? That's all. That's all. Like you can't do any more than that at, at 60 today or 25 or at eight. Um, so that's, that's, that's just the only way I think, um, you're going to live a rich life where you make the, it's all of our jobs, I think, to try to make the world a better place, even if it's just saying hello to someone walking by the street or if someone, if you're going through a grocery store and they're they're taking your money, you know, thanking them and letting them know you really you look them in the eye and let them know you appreciate it. You know, it takes it, it, 
we need everybody to do what they do for us to have the life that we have. And it's just about appreciating it and never really thinking you're that special because you're not. You're not. You're maybe more fortunate. You, yeah, you worked hard. But you know what? You've got to recognize everybody. The other day I was with a woman who was, uh, whatever, t giving me a, a shot. And I just thought to myself, thank God that she had the profession that she has and the care that she has to give me this that I need. And just letting her know that. And I thought to myself when I left, how many people really let the, the person know that's giving you a shot? Hey, thank you for your career path because that benefited me. Yeah. It's, everybody plays a role, right? But it's believing it. It's believing it in your heart of hearts. It's not just saying it. It's believing it. It's thinking about it. It's recognizing it. And it's really trying to live your life that way. That That is definitely some great advice. Um for young women today, do you have any advice for tomorrow's leaders who are, who are women looking to be leaders? What would you say to them? Well, um, I say that uh, you got a, a lot of great skill sets, as I would also say to males, but you got a lot of great skill sets to make you a wonderful leader. And all of us have some skill sets that we are, or, or characteristics that we need to work on that what might get in the way of our leadership skills. So to me, it is how do you make the room better? Um, how do you make a project better? Um, how do you drive a business forward? Those are the leaders that are going to rise at the top and using, I think, some natural skill sets, um, I think will really help you in that journey. Uh, the other thing I think are very good for, for women and for men, but for women is I think we're very good at scheduling. And I know for me, being a mother, uh, and being able to schedule and being able to fit things in like a shower in the middle of a, a major issue of a, a sourcing problem. That compartmentalization and that scheduling is very critical, um, I think, also uh, for a leader. And I think women are, are, are also very, very good at that. So it's using your skill sets uh, that were natural, developing those skill sets and also looking at the characteristics that get in the way of, of team and in uh, you know, and, and and driving a business forward, you know, ask yourself, what are those that you have and how can you, how can you really work on reducing those? And Bigelow Tea could be anywhere in the world. What do you love about Connecticut since this is about Connecticut leaders? Uh, I, I love Connecticut. Everybody knows me, knows I love Connecticut. I love the weather. I love the four seasons. Um, I lived uh, down south for a while. I often said I would look like I was 100 right now at 60 versus hopefully I look more like 60 at 60. Um, so I love the seasons. I always say when it's cold, it's preserving my skin. Um, I love the snow. Um, I love the people. This, These are, you know, I, I love the attitude. I love the pace. Um, I love uh, the options, uh, the city, um, the, the shoreline. I just, just, I love Connecticut. Uh, this is a perfect, God, no. Do we need to work on some things? God, yes. But uh, it's a beautiful state with beautiful people. And what's your favorite tea? Or are uh, they all your children? <laughs> I, I cannot answer that, Derek. I love all yeah. the teas. I really do. Um, I go back and forth. Like, um, this weekend I had three cups of perfectly mint. I haven't had perfectly mint in 10 years. Right, so Casa Common, Earl Grey, Lemon Ginger, Cozy Chamomile, Green Tea, our new botanicals, our benefit. I am all over the map. Uh, you know, I am all over the map. I drink all our teas. Different teas for different times. Yeah, my, my new thing in the botanicals, 
there are these like uh, botanical infusion. You just put them into cold water, your tea bag, and let it sit. It infuses. It's not iced tea. It's just like a, it's a way to uh, give your water. Like you do like if you go to a restaurant or a hotel and they have these waters with watermelon floating in them. I love mm. that water. So these were built for that. So they're Bigelow Botanicals. I drink those all the time. Now I must have three cups a day of Bigelow Botanicals or three glasses. It's awesome. I'm drinking so much more water. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you a funny tea story. I, much later in life, over 40, had to get a wisdom tooth removed. So I get the wisdom tooth removed, which I did not go in, under anesthesia. Dentist gives me Novocaine, right? It was just one tooth. He says, we'll take it out right now. And this is the, the, the oral surgeon. So I, I trust him. He's good. He knows what he's doing. But I get the tooth removed, I'm home, and he calls me like many hours later, it's like eight o'clock at night, and he checks in on me and says, how's, how's your t- tooth doing? I said, well, I don't know, I'm changing the gauze what seems like every 15 minutes here. He says, do you have any tea bags? I said, yes, I do. He says, put a tea bag in some very, very cold water, remove the gauze, and then bite down on the wound with that tea bag for about 15 to 20 minutes, and it should stop you know, the issue. And he was right. Are you kidding me? No. Derek, I'm so he, putting that on our website. Where he all said, that? just look it up, find it somewhere. I don't know where you'll find it, but it something about the composition of tea or the acid or something helped, you know, coagulate things and make, and make the bleeding stop. So <laughs> that's today's I idea. Only <laughs> tell you that that is amazing that that was uh, the beauty that of tea is hard to describe and that's just one other reason why we should have lots of tea bags in our house yes exactly <laughs> and only bigelow tea bags Derek. of course and final question um any final words that you'd like to say out there to, to the folks um i just want to thank you um i thought your questions were really wonderful to kind of get to know uh, me and maybe the business at a different level. Um, they were very thoughtful questions. And so, and I really appreciate having the opportunity to share a little bit about me that uh, probably a lot of people don't know. So I want to thank you actually. Thank you. That, that means a lot. Um, so thank you so much, Cindy. I've taken up, uh, an entire morning of yours, but this has been such an inspiring conversation. And if people want to follow you and Bigelow Tea, um, where can they find you? I'm sure you're you're, you're out there. Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I not from a personal perspective, no, but from a business perspective, yes. You know, we have obviously had the Instagram and the Twitter and the Facebook. Personally, that's uh, that I don't do that in terms of accessible. Um, but from a business perspective, they have a lot of stories and stuff we share about the family, myself, the business, the products, the community work we're doing, the sustainability work we're doing. Love all that. So follow any one of those. There we go, my friends. That's Cindy Bigelow, the third generation president and CEO of Bigelow Tea. Such an inspiring person. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And if you want to find out more about all things Bigelow Tea, please visit BigelowT.com. And you can also follow them on social media. They're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at BigelowT. Upfront is brought to you by Mason, an integrated brand communications firm located in Southern Connecticut that provides communications ingenuity through advertising, public relations, social media, digital, and media services. 
To learn more, visit mason23.com or get in touch by sending an email to hello at mason23.com. And be sure to stop by and say hello to me. You can find me on Twitter, at Derek Beer, as well as LinkedIn. Connect and say hello. This episode was produced, engineered, researched, and designed with help from Jackie Lightsey, Eliza Gladwin, Neil Johnson, and TJ Tower, who are all members of the Mason team. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again next month. And if you're curious who our guest is, I'll give you a little bit of a hint. We're going to be talking about all things professional golf here in Connecticut. Hmm. I wonder who that could be. Tune in. We'll see you. Take care.